I want to give a little announcement at the beginning of this episode to tell everyone that we at the podcast have finally decided to take the leap into adding advertisements to the podcast. This is an effort to, what they say, monetize the podcast. In other words, make money from the podcast. That way, more of us can dedicate more time to the podcast. If you've been listening to the podcast for years, you know that the last year or so, I at least have dedicated a lot more time to the podcast, primarily because it is a minor revenue stream due to people becoming patrons on patreon.com. Adding advertisements will further that effort. My hope is is potentially to have enough revenue that I can cut back on other areas of my work so that I can do the podcast every day. But that requires some advertisements. And so I, I don't know much about exactly how it's going to work. The people have told me that they're going to put ads at the beginning of the podcast, at the end of the podcast, maybe at the middle. But I ask that everyone bear with us as we transition into this. You know, most of the popular podcasts have ads, and it's just a, re- a reality. The alternative would be to charge everyone for every episode, like, you know, a dollar an episode, and that would not be cool. So we are turning to advertisements. Um And we might even have ads in the middle of the podcast. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work, but I just wanted to give that announcement. And, you know, if you have thoughts about it, let me know. But in general, uh, I hope that people are cool with it because it will mean, I think, a good thing for everybody. And people have been emailing me for years saying, you know, you should probably just put ads on the podcast. And frankly, I'm just not aware of how to do that. And so I was approached by some people and they said, you don't have ads on your podcasts, maybe you should add them and we'll do it for you. And we'll take a cut. But you know, we'll we'll do it for you. And I was like, fine, that sounds like a good deal less work for me. And plus, I don't even know how to do it. So yay for everybody. What's a win win. Okay, even for the listeners again, because we can add more podcasts. So today, I want to talk about a emailer, a listener who wrote in This is in response to the episode Thoughts on Grief, which was uh, published not too long ago. And in that episode, I talked about how I was walking down the hallway at my university, and a colleague pulled me into her office, and she told me about a very sad situation in which a former student who we both knew her husband had committed suicide earlier this year or last year, within the year. And my colleague was telling me about this for, former student. And she she was crying, and, and we were both uh, expressing our sadness about it. And it, it prompted me to start uh, talking into the microphone about grief and about suicide and about loss, about my own grief and loss regarding my grandmother, having passed away recently, uh, just last month. She was 101. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you would see me posting her birthdays every year with uh, me and her. I'll take selfie videos with her, uh, and I did so at the 101st birthday that she had not too long ago. She was Japanese-American and had grown up in Washington State from the time she was born and had seen so much 
and had been through so much and had given so much. And so it's, it's, um, uh, so anyway, that's what I was talking about in, in that episode. And I was, again, ref, uh, directing a lot of my comments toward the former listener because the, the former student, not the former listener, the former student was telling my colleague at, at the university that she listens to the podcast. And so I was sort of directing it towards her. I didn't know if she would hear it. Well, she did hear it and she responded and she wrote a long email because I asked her to, because I said I would read parts of it on the podcast. And so here we go. But before I, I do that, I'll introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I'll leave the names out just to uh, you know protect the anonymity of the emailer. But again, former student of, of the, in my program, and she is writing in. She says, I'm a regular listener of your podcast, and while making breakfast for my daughter this morning and listening to the latest episode on loss and grief, I realized you were referring to me. I was deeply touched by your discussion about grief and the way in which you delicately referenced my experience with losing my husband. I appreciate your kind words and condolences, and I'm hoping I didn't cause any secondary trauma to our to my coworker, whom I'm also not naming. So the former student is saying, I hope I didn't traumatize because it sounds like, because in the podcast that I published earlier, the my coworker was, was really crying quite significantly. It wasn't just like a little tear. You know, on the scale of crying from one to 10, it was like a five. And so I mentioned that in the podcast and the former student here is saying, I hope I didn't cause her any undue strain on her, on her stress. And so, and, um, and I'll reassure the, the former student that now uh, our, our, our mutual friend is fine. She is a very caring person and, and has uh, her emotions on her sleeve. And so it's just uh, the way she is. And I think it's very healthy. Okay, going on with the email. I am getting great support, but have a tendency to share openly the details of my journey. I suppose part of my healing and processing has been sharing and talking it out. So just chiming in here. Yes, absolutely. You should never be ashamed or guilty for telling people about what you're going through, even if it causes other people pain. It, I mean, the sort of pain that we feel when we have empathy, that's, that's okay. It's painful to listen to our friends and family members go through difficult times, but what's the alternative? They don't tell us, and, and we aren't given a chance to empathize. We aren't given a chance to go through that with you. We're all in, the, in this together, and I find myself frequently telling my clients and my friends and my students that they are not a burden on other people. I have almost never heard someone say, oh my God, that person is such a burden. All they do is talk about their problems. I've almost never heard that. Of course, you hear that every every now and then, but the proportion 
of people that say that they think they are a burden to other people is is probably like a hundred times that that I hear people say they actually know someone who's a burden. So in my estimation, if you think that you're being a burden or you're worried that you're being a burden, you're in if you're there's a ninety nine percent chance that you are definitely not a burden. And in all likelihood, you're actually helping somebody by telling them about your problems. People like to be helpful, one, and so you're giving them that gift of allowing them to care for you. That's a wonderful thing. I've said this before in the podcast. When I walk down the street and someone asks me for directions, I am I am ecstatic to to help. If they're like, "Where's the space needle?" and I'm like, "Oh, yay! I get a I get to help this person." I say, "Well, first I think in my head, don't you have G- GPS?" And then the second thing I do is I say, "It's down the street, Fifth Avenue. Turn on Broad." Blah blah blah. And so it's a gift to me to be able to help someone. And so uh, what I'm telling the former uh, student here is. Uh, don't worry about, uh, you know, quote unquote, burdening other people. Uh, they want to help. Uh, the other thing is, is, is that it's reciprocal, right? When we are uh, allowed to take care of someone, then when we're in trouble, we'll come to you and you'll care for us. It's all just a big circle of care. And so that is that. If we never give people that opportunity, then we can't really get into that circle of care, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, just going on with the email here again. It has been an extraordinarily painful process, but I am slowly moving through it the best I can. Thanks again, and keep up the good work with, with, your, pod, with your podcast. My husband was a huge fan as well. When I read this last line, it really hit me. I don't know exactly why, but the you know the notion that this her husband was a huge fan of the podcast and we talk about depression and suicide and you know mental issues every now and then and to think about him and to think about him also going into a, a despair and a depression and a place where he decided to commit suicide is very distressing to me in some way. I, I This is the first time I've ever heard, and I'm sure it happens. I mean, you know, there's thousands of people listening listen to the podcast. It's, it's just a weird notion to think about, a distressing notion to think about some of the listeners passing away or committing suicide. It's, it's, uh, I don't know what to think about that. It's, um, again, it's natural, but I, I have this strange feeling of responsibility and I know that I'm not, but I wonder, I have a little, little tinge of what, what I'm guessing the emailer, the listener has, which is a, it's a bit of guilt of thinking, was there something I could have said as a podcaster to him that could have prevented him from taking his own life. I, of course, logically know that that doesn't make any sense. I did a lot of things probably that were in that direction, and how could I have known? But let me just say, if any of you out there are suicidal to the point where you're actually going to do it, which I know 
no, a number of you are experiencing depressive symptoms and will occasionally think about suicide. But if any of you are actually thinking about doing it, uh, please don't. <laughs> there are things that we can all do as a community to make it so that you don't need to do that. Uh, I'm not saying just don't do it. What I'm saying is, is that we can, there are things we can all do and research has shown that we can improve people's lives to the point where they might still be at least somewhat depressed, but they don't actually want to kill themselves anymore. I, I don't know all the stats, but I, I do know that people will talk about sometimes how there are, uh, when they research suicidality, suicidality, they will find that people will have periods of time where they're suicidal and, and periods of times where they're not. And so if we could just get people through those periods of time where they're particularly motivated to kill themselves, then they can emerge on the other side of that period not be, not feeling that way. And, and of course, there's lots of treatments that aren't used. A lot of people go untreated. And so there's, of course, medication, there's talk therapy, there's a lot of activities, there's um, family support, there's just so many different things that, that can be done, uh, that can help people get through those difficult times. So I, I just say, please, and, and if you know someone that is suicidal, um, please do what you can, because, um, uh, let's, let's not lose any listeners. <laughs> let's all, let's all be in this together and, and, and help people who are suffering. So just going on with her email here, she says, we went back and forth. And so this is a number of emails, but she says the, the former student current listener says an idea or discussion I have found helpful in my SOS groups, that's survivors of suicide groups, SOS groups, is creating a dialogue about what is helpful and what is not in terms of offering support. It's amazing the friends and even strangers who have helped to aid in this process of healing. And then there are those who simply do not know what to say or do. I wish death, particularly suicide, didn't have such a stigma and that people felt more comfortable talking about it. I believe one of the only ways to prevent suicide is by addressing depression and mental, Ill and mental health openly. I participated in the Out of Darkness Overnight Walk in June and found it to be tremendously healing. Just chiming in here, the Out of Darkness Overnight Walk was a walk to support suicide awareness and prevention. Going, getting back into the, her email here. There were over 2,000 people there who had been touched by suicide and it was so comforting being surrounded by so many who understood my pain. And she she wrote the following message to the others who participated in the walk. She just, I'm guessing, copied and pasted her her piece that she wrote to the other people who participated in the Out of Darkness overnight walk. As many of you know, I lost my husband to suicide this past December. In the months that followed his death, I could not even imagine walking around the block with my child, let alone a walk of this magnitude. The grief immobilized me for a while because I refused to fully face it. 
I felt gutted, unable to see any hope in our future without him. It was a frightening darkness with no doors or sunlight or room to breathe. I contemplated my own suicide, thinking there was no other solution and a life without him was impossible. I still feel sometimes that life without him will be impossible, but I I am no longer suicidal, and I, I allow myself to take each day as slowly as I need to, filling my time with healthy and fun adventures for my daughter and me. I have found that movement, both emotionally and physically, has been essential to my healing process, because if I don't move, the pain will swallow me whole. And you can't move through grief if you don't acknowledge and embrace it on some level, however dark and painful it is. I am sharing this very personal struggle with you all to release some of the shame and stigma that so often comes from talking about mental illness. Suicide is not a result of weakness or selfishness. I know this to be true because my husband was neither weak nor selfish. It was a manifestation of debilitating feelings of hopelessness and desperation and the mistaken belief that there is no other way out. I am so grateful and humbled by the safety net of family and friends, and even some strangers, who reached out and helped to lead me back into the light when everything seemed hopeless. And a complete stranger held my hand during a flight to Arizona when I couldn't stop shaking and crying. And on the same trip, one of the flight attendants gave me her number to call if I needed to talk because she had lost her brother to suicide. This kind of love and support has helped to buffer a a grief that once seemed, seemed insurmountable. I'm hoping my daughter, who looks so much like her dad and has already exhibited her charisma, his charisma, humor, warmth, and strength, I'm hoping my daughter will only know her mother as a parent who experienced a heartbreaking loss, but but was able to find a way to navigate through the pain. And I pray that with the stories from those who knew and loved him, she will come to know what a beautiful and extraordinary person her dad was. He brought so much light and happiness to all who knew him. Losing him completely altered the trajectory of our lives. My heart and perspective on life will never be the same. The world looks and feels different now, and his absence has erased some of the color our world once held. I'm confident that whatever he is now, he is surrounded by, wherever he is now, he is surrounded by love and light. I just wish he could have found that light here on earth. Suicide has become an epidemic amongst far too many people I know, And my only recourse is to counter it with love, compassion, and a burning motivation to raise awareness and hope. Also, I just want you to know, oh, so then she says a bit more that I won't read, Um, but uh, then she turns to me and she says, also, I want you to know that your podcast has been a great comfort to me. I'm a busy mom and unable to take time to read and keep keep as informed as I would like, but podcast... Uh, like these help fill that void. I especially appreciate the clinical discussions as I miss working in the field of mental health, but I feel still connected by listening to psychology in Seattle. And then she closes by saying podcasts rule. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So I hope that you, you get a, a good picture of what it might be like for her as she grieves the loss of her husband and how grieving the loss of someone to suicide is is particularly different, right? 
So that's just something that I, I hope is clear. So I really want to thank the listener for emailing in her thoughts and her experience regarding losing her husband to suicide and to uh, provide everybody the opportunity to hear from someone of that experience. I have to say, even for myself who works with people in situations like this, it's a good reminder and a good counterbalance to our weird cultural notions regarding suicide and to not put it in the closet and to not be afraid to talk about it because it's real and it happens and it happens to people and there are family members left behind regarding it. And the more we put it in the closet, the worse it is for everybody. Just some stats, some quick stats that I'll tell you. It might be surprising to some, but suicide is much more common than homicide in our country. According to data from a couple years ago, about 41,000 suicide uh, deaths occurred in 2014, 41,000, whereas only 16,000 homicide deaths happened in 2014. Again, 2014, 41,000 suicides and 16,000 homicides. So suicide is much more common than homicide, and I think that is surprising to a lot of people. Also, suicide is the leading cause of death in the military currently. That's probably also, if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably heard me talk about that before, but if you forgot or if you didn't hear those episodes, you uh, will now know that suicide is the leading cause of death in the military. Well, perhaps you read that somewhere else, but this is shocking to me because the narrative of the military is one in which people die from being at war. They do not die from suicide. That's not something we hear about very much. Another factoid here, gun deaths, you know, deaths by gun are mostly suicide. And this has been true for decades, going way back, perhaps maybe even centuries. But with the data we have, it, it, it's, it goes back for decades in that of the deaths caused by guns, the majority of them are caused uh, are, are suicides rather than homicides. And again, yet no one is talking about this. When we talk about gun control, it's always talking about mass shootings, really, is what we're talking about. But really, uh, when we talk about gun control, in, in my book, what we're talking about is trying to reduce the rates of suicide. Also, uh, another factoid here, at the high end of the estimates, because it depends on, this is regarding terrorism, it depends on how you define terrorism and deaths from terrorism in the United States, but the high end, at the high end, terrorism has killed less than 100 people in the United States over the past 10 years, maybe a, maybe a couple hundred people. So the past 10 years, there's been hardly anyone who has died from terrorism. And yet, how much do we hear about terrorism? How much do we hear about building a wall and keeping out the foreigners because of terrorism? When, in fact, if we really cared about American lives, human life, we would be talking just you know way more about how to prevent suicide. If we really wanted to save the most lives, 
we would be talking about suicide. We'd be talking about gun deaths related to suicide. Uh, and then as a distant second, we'd be talking about homicide. And as a distant, distant third, we'd be talking about terrorism. Now, this is not to say that terrorism is not a problem. Uh, it's not to say that homicides are not a problem. It's just to say that suicides are a bigger problem. So it's, or at least a more numerous problem. And so isn't that strange that we have suicides, death by suicide, which is preventable, by the way, uh, you know, being so much more prevalent than other kinds of things that we hear about on a daily basis. I mean, think about how much terrorism is in the news. Think about how much homicide is in the news. Think about how little suicide, if any, coverage on suicide is in the news. It really only pops up in the news when someone famous kills themselves, like Robin Williams, for instance. And so it's just uh, interesting. You know, we're, as a culture, we're completely backward when it comes to just general death or general grief, right? And we're even more backward when it comes to suicide. I mean, imagine this scenario. You're at a dinner party and someone says, someone at the dinner party, they say, yeah, it's been, a t it's been tough for me lately. My husband killed himself last year. Imagine what people would say. My, my husband killed himself last year. Imagine the gasps. Imagine the awkwardness. No one would know what to say. Now imagine this. You're at a, you're at a dinner party and someone says, yeah, it's, it's, been, a tough, it's been tough lately. My, my husband died from cancer last year. Now, imagine how people would react differently. Now, why is this? Why do people act so differently? Why are we so weird when it comes to suicide? It's so strange to me. A, a study by Gal et al. in 2014 conducted a, these people conducted a qualitative study exploring the needs of 11 suicidal uh, bereaved individuals and four mental health workers. So, 11 people who had someone die from suicide who was close to them. The participants reported intense grief continuing for several years, including guilt, self-blame, shame, anger, depression, worry, regret, powerlessness, violence, horror, loneliness, abandonment, and relief. You know, that's an interesting relief. Because for many people who will commit suicide, they will have suffered from depression for years. And for some people, for some family members, there's some amount of relief from the ongoing difficulty of having to take care of someone who is severely depressed. So that's just something to, to throw out there. But there's also all these other feelings of guilt and self-blame and shame and anger and regret over you know what you could have done, powerlessness and the horror and the loneliness. Several experienced, several participants in the study, they experienced guilt and self-blame for not having done more. For instance, one father who lost a child to suicide said, how could any father let his child take his own life? Participants also wondered about what-if questions. The bereaved individuals discussed their feelings of guilt for having contributed somehow to the decision of suicide. And many of the participants in the study also felt anger at the deceased. For instance, one participant said, how could he do that to his mother? How could he do that to me? How could he kill himself and do that to me? This is all 
normal reactions to the trauma of, of losing someone to suicide. Other, other participants blamed the medical system for not doing enough. Some participants were ashamed, and they reported lying to others, saying the death was from a car accident or cancer. I can totally see this. I can absolutely see you know, spouses of someone who committed suicide. I can absolutely imagine them saying, yeah, I lost my husband last year. And, oh, how'd he die? Oh, he died from cancer, you know. Because, one, there's so much stigma around suicide. But, two, I, be, you know, we would predict that most people would react awkwardly. And perhaps, I mean, when we say one of our loved ones has died, people react generally badly anyway. And I I would feel bad for other people if if my spouse had killed themselves. And so I would just say cancer because it would be less traumatic for the person I'm telling. Uh, I also might feel a lot of shame about it and not know what to say. And since there's so much stigma around suicide, I mean, some people think suicide is is a sign of weakness, is a sign of cowardice. I mean, there's stuff out there like that. And so, you know, I might, I might lie about it too. I mean, I've talked about on the podcast before that I get, whenever I tell people that I work in psychology or in therapy, I, depending on where they are in the culture, they will react in various different ways. And, and some people don't react very well to it. They'll be afraid of me or they'll be angry at me for something. Oh, I have to tell you a story about that. I'm at the dentist and the the assistant, the dental assistant is getting me ready for my cleaning. And, you know, they always have a little bit of chit chat, right? How's your day? How many plans this weekend? And, and, you know, it's fine. And she, she's asking me all these questions. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm going back and forth with her and she's getting me ready for x-rays and this kind of stuff. And she says, Oh, you know, what, what do you do? And I, I say, Oh, well, I'm a professor of, of therapy. I teach therapists how to be therapists. And she says, oh, really? Huh. Yeah, well, you know, therapists, they're only out for people's money. She, she, she said that. That was like one of the first things she said. It, it wasn't even buffered with anything else. She, just, she was young. She's like, I don't know, 18, 19. And she says, oh, yeah, you know, therapists, they're only in it for the money. Because I had a therapist once after my mother died. And my family forced me into therapy, and I just hated him. All he wanted to do was talk and talk and talk about feelings, and and he was just in it for the money. He didn't really care about me at all. And she, she just goes off, and she just goes on and on about how horrible therapists are, and how they're just money grubbing, uh, you know, just idiots. And 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 I'm just sitting there saying, okay, I'm secure enough in myself and my field that. I don't feel the need to defend it. And, you know, if that's how you feel about it, that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion about therapists. But I'm worried about her because at some point she's going to realize what she just did. <laughs> you know, I just talked, I just told her innocently. She asked me what I did. I obliged her by telling her what I did. And then she just went off on a rant about how terrible I am in my profession. And, you know, obviously it got awkward and she tried to be overly helpful as a result, which was annoying to me. And yeah, it was, it was a very, and she was interrupting the dentist trying to t tell me, 
uh, facts about things. She said, well, I can't really diagnose you because I'm just an assistant, but this kind of looks like a this and this looks like that. And I'm just like, okay, well, uh, good to know. I can't wait to hear from the dentist. Where's the dentist, by the way? <laughs> Maybe I should be talking. And so, you know, this is an extreme example, but this is an example of how when I tell people what I do, I get weird reactions. If I had said I work at Microsoft, she would have just said, oh, yeah, Microsoft, yeah, uh-huh, whatever, and then we would have just moved on with, with our lives. And at dinner parties, sometimes I'll do the same because I don't know, if I don't know someone or I get the idea that I'm going to get a weird reaction, I'll just say something boring, you know, like, oh, I work, you know, I work in tech or something. I'll just, or, you know, I do an internet thing. It's boring. You don't want to hear about it or just something like that, just to get people to not ask me any more questions because I don't want to get the reactivity. So I can absolutely imagine, you know, the, because suicide is so much more stigmatized than being a therapist. And so I, I can't imagine what that would be like to, just to say, oh, you know, are you married or, or, oh, you have, uh, you have a daughter, uh, are you still, you know, where's the dad or something? And then you just have to somehow explain the situation. I can imagine that you would just want to have an easy answer. Oh, I, he died recently from cancer. It was tough, but, but, um, you know, we're, we're moving on or I don't know what you say in situations like that, but I can imagine not wanting to, uh, say suicide because, you'd get a lot of reactivity, a lot of questions, a lot of weirdness, a lot of weird behavior. Now, if our society was different and we weren't so weird about death and, and weren't so weird particularly about suicide, then people who are bereaving suicide could be free to say that their spouse had died from suicide and not have to worry about how weird we would react to that. And so it's our fault. It's not their fault. So, um, so that's what I'll say about all of that. Um, I hope that you out there can, one, get support for yourself if if you are grieving and particularly grieving suicide. I hope that you can get support for yourself if you're suicidal and know that there often is a solution. And I've talked with so many people who have said, oh, yeah, I went through a pretty tough bout of suicidal ideation 10 years ago. Uh, there was a real low point and I was pretty sure I was going to do it, but I, I got through that tough time and, and now, you know, I'm better. I, it's, I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm much better than I, than I was during that time. And so what I would always try to tell people who are seriously thinking about suicide is, is really think about that, that if you can get through this tough time one day at a time, in all likelihood, you'll feel better down the line. You, you, you're not going to feel awesome because you'll still be depressed, but you won't be so depressed that suicide seems like the only answer. Um, also, if, if you are a member of our society, which I assume you are, if you can start changing the stigma around suicide, being more aware of it, talking about it when appropriate, helping though, helping others, uh, if they suffer from suicidal ideation or, they're bereaving suicide, just being more vocal. Let's let it out of the bag. It's, it's a real thing. It happens. And let's stop acting like it's not. Well, that does it for the podcast called Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself. And listener and former student, thank you so much for writing in. It was really helpful. I'm sure everyone thanks you for that. Please take care of yourself and other people because we all deserve it.